yeah, having come from this environment, from the design, brand strategy, creative digital environment, I really understand that the that the role that those agencies and consultants can make is is actually far beyond what they might imagine. And that's because they're they're involved in shaping the narrative of business and of actually then amplifying it. So if if you can imbue a little essence of what you believe businesses should stand for in industry, in society, into the work that you're doing and help those clients to see things in a slightly reframed way, you can then tell that story in a really inspiring and aspirational um, way. And I, th- I think that makes it very compelling, not just for their story, but for the story, of, for, the, for the potential stories of everyone who sees what they're doing and says, well, I want to I be like that. Where's my version of that? And so from a design, craft, um, strategy, content perspective, I think that's a huge opportunity that I would wholeheartedly encourage that this industry, the creative industry, gets behind. You're listening to One More Question, a podcast by the people of Nice Work. One of the things we often catch ourselves saying is, can we just ask you one more question? And that's the antithesis of what this podcast is. It's about sharing the best conversations we've had with significant creators, experts, and communicators. The people that we've encountered as we go about our work of making people care by creating purposeful brands. This season is focused around unpacking the topic of purpose, exploring what purpose means in its many forms, and we share how people are using purpose to build great companies and successful brands. I'm your host, Ross Tricks. Today on the podcast, I'm talking to Tom Fells, founder and CEO of Animorum. Tom is an evangelist for conscious business and is focused on transforming business as a force for good. He is also the representative of the B Corp movement in Southern Africa. His journey to purpose started as the MD of Publicist Machine and had followed him through his journey as CEO of Nurun and then Sangeeta before founding Animarum. We talk about purpose as a tactical driver of business, his journey from advertising to impact, and why he believes in B corporations. We close up by talking about the role that designers have in shaping this narrative and driving it forward. Enjoy. So welcome to the podcast, Tom. Thank you very much for joining us today. Thanks, Ross. Awesome to be here. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. Yeah, interestingly, I was uh, introduced to you um, via uh, Mike Stockworth's podcast, The One-Eyed Man, um, and I was struck by your sort of definition of purpose. And, you know, I'm always telling telling our clients that we think purpose needs a bit of a rebrand because it's been um, sequestered by millennials on Instagram living their best lives um, and by agencies and marketing departments looking to sort of you know, run the next big campaign. Um, I'd, I'd love to hear from you like what your definition of purpose in a in a business context is. Yeah, thanks, thanks. And there was a very interesting discussion I had with Mike. Uh, he asked a lot of provocative questions, which uh, I look forward to you um, <laughs> also engaging me on. Uh, you know, purpose for me is grounded in the, in the idea of interconnectedness um, and the reality that, you know, business doesn't exist in a bubble as individuals, we don't exist in a bubble, um, and that purpose ultimately ties an ethos of a, an organisation to what's happening in the world. Um, and so, you know, 
it doesn't always have to be really um, high and mighty. You know, a purpose can be to bring joy, like a Coca-Cola or an ice cream. Um, the purpose could be enabling, um, or the purpose could be to, you know, really try to address some of the ills in the world, um, which might be more, you know, deep and entrenched. But ultimately, you've got to link the ethos of, of an organization or a business to something that you're championing. And for me, that's what purpose is. If you can, if you can create that distinction or that identification of that point where what you stand for in terms of your ethos and your values connects to what's happening in the world um, uh, and make it a better place, that's where I think purpose comes to life. And do, I mean, do you see it as as uh, kind of like a, a motivator for the team? Like, how do you how do you see businesses using this to to drive their business to ultimately uh, generate profits and revenue? How do you see this as like a tactical tool for for companies to use? So, I think it needs to be translated through a couple of of levels. Um, firstly, talking about the staff, I think what it should give staff is a the clear sense of identity with the organization and attract people with like-minded um, philosophies and values so that you have a galvanized staff working towards a common purpose. Uh, and also in terms of the effort and, and the activities that they undertake, that that purpose should be a filter through which they look at what to prioritize, not prioritize, pursue, not pursue. Um, and so it definitely has to play a massive role in the internal landscape, um, attracting, retaining, and fulfilling staff. Um, and then externally, as you look to sort of, uh, and, and look, at, it spins off of the internal narrative of, of the operations and so on. But as you look to that profitability component, um, commercial orientation, you know, your purpose should also guide how you do the business that you do. You know, not, not necessarily what you do, but how you do it. So are you, you know, engaging um, stakeholders in a fair way in terms of your supply chain? Are you uh, collaborating actively with people in the industry, organizations in the industry? Are you thinking about the impact of your products, services, and operations in terms of sustainability and the environment? Um, and these things all feel quite lofty in the beginning. I think there's probably a lot of businesses that will think to themselves, I'm not big enough for that. You know, that that feels like something for a big corporate to be doing. But ultimately, you know, the impact and the influence of many, many small businesses doing as much as they can really well is significant in the bigger picture. And as soon as you start to make small choices, um, and I'll use a small choice that I recently made as an example, but, you know, I've been using Nespresso for a very long time. As, as much as I, I love recycling and I'm, I try to be as committed as I, I can to it, you know, the reality is those pods tend to go in the bin more often than I'd like. Um, and I recently switched to some pods which are by a brand called Four Weeks. And they are made of sugarcane. They're compostable in eight weeks. And suddenly the guilt I had with, you know, making a coffee in the morning was gone. And actually I felt really, really great about buying coffee from them. Uh, and the coffee is excellent quality and their service is great. So it feels like just a double win. You know, great coffee, great service, and I know I'm not, uh, I don't have to have or carry any guilt from enjoying that coffee. So, you know, for me, if you start to look at the spectrum of your influence, your impact in your operations, that's when purpose tactically comes to life to make a difference uh, in the world 
And also, it should be something, again, that reinforces you know, from an employee value proposition why they should come to work for you. Hmm. I think it's also really interesting. We always, when we, we talk to our clients, um, you know, there, there's always this, like you said, that feels like something a big corporate should do. But ultimately, I think it's actually easier for smaller companies to make these shifts and to make these choices. Um, those shifts can be, their direction can be changed uh, with a lot more ease than, say, a really big bank. You know, if they wanted to fundamentally do this, uh, it's going to require a large change management program and a lot of time and a lot of energy and a lot of effort to ultimately shift it. Yeah, think um, of the logistics. You know, a huge corporate, multiple massive head offices, hundreds of employees, um, huge externalities in terms of, uh, you know, brick and mortar infrastructure, logistics, um, you know, water, electricity, uh, community impact. Like it's it's quite radical if, if, and it's scary to think of about, about it at a, a large corporate view, and, and I'm grateful that so many corporates have sort of taken taken on the role of integrated reporting, which really focuses on their environmental, social, and and governance practices. Which means that many of them are actually quite far ahead in South Africa. Mm. But um, it, it's definitely a process and it's a journey, and I think it's not something you can switch on overnight if you're a big company. Uh, I think what you can switch on is this reframing the narrative of demonstrating commitment um, and then living that commitment through, you know, small and sustained actions, which demonstrate that actually, yes, we are on this path um, and we're not going to stop. Whereas if you're a small, you know, new business, you can build it from the ground up. You can start with, you know, what compelled you to start that business. You can get like-minded people on board and you can embrace those uh, practices, uh, you know, at a very small level. And as you scale, it's sort of like, tooling for a business you know if you start a business and you start doing your um your accounting in excel suddenly you get to a point where you you're going to need to use uh, accounting packages and you think to yourself wow okay um now i'm growing up but actually mm. if you'd started in the very beginning it would be completely natural just to, to be evolving and growing and to not be you know throttled by the volume that suddenly you might be faced with if you're doing things manually so yeah i think there's 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 two very different stories that play out depending on the size of the business and the, and the maturity of the life cycle that the business is in. I think it also represents a bit of an opportunity. Um, you know, how do, how do you as, you know, the owner of a small business or a new brand or, you know, a, a, new, a new entrance into a market kind of stand out and get people to actually care about you? I think using this effectively is one of the great ways to, to take that lead because it's much harder for your established competitors to, to make that shift where you can do it quite easily. You know, so for Nespresso to stop making aluminium pods, you know, it's going to require a huge CapEx investments, huge R and D. They're going to have to solve all sorts of problems that, um, you know, that other brand that you mentioned doesn't have to, they can just start from day one, uh, making those pods and and ultimately steal a customer away from a brand that has enough money to pay George Clooney uh, to be on every billboard. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And look, I think that's an exciting part of this whole narrative change in business is that, you know, people are opting out of some big brands in favor of just brands that might be more sustainable. So studies have been done and millennials have have demonstrated that they'd rather pay more for something that is sustainable um, and may well opt out of 
traditional and premium choices just for the sake of the fact that you know business is showing more commitment to uh, inclusion sustainability uh, and and really walking the talk in terms of business as a force for good which ultimately so so many businesses proclaim but less actually deliver on hmm. i mean that was so, so my next question to you is is obviously uh, you know I think the failure when it comes to things like charitable giving and and NGOs and things like that is is they're very much reliant on people's willingness to share. Um, and I, I think the biggest impacts happen when when the profitability of the business, um, you know, and the success of the business are are ultimately tied into whatever that activity is, because then from a selfish perspective, that business will always drive to achieve more of that. Um, so, so how do you, how do you see kind of big companies getting on board with this or how do you see small businesses using this as a, as a selfish thing to actually drive their business forward? Like how do you see this happening? Cause I suppose one way is going to be legislation. Um, but another way is for the businesses to make that choice and to see how to, to use it um, effectively to to become more successful. Yeah, I, the word choice is is yeah really gets me going. I think we have the unbelievable power to choose our own destinies, and we shouldn't rely on what government mandates uh, in respect of you know the things we should be doing and, and how we should be going about them. Uh, I'll start with the big the big business. Um, dimension because they need to do things a little bit back to front potentially if they aren't uh you know if they haven't been built in this way but for big businesses so many of them are mandated in, in two ways some by, by way of shareholding they might be mandated mandated to report on um esg so that's kind of in a in a very integrated reporting way a holistic report that highlights you know from employees to training to social upliftment enterprise development and so on that's one area which many corporates are already focused on in respect of their reporting. And the other component is the triple B double E scorecard, which deals with ownership, transformation, uh, enterprise development, and so on. So those those two, if you're sitting in a big corporate, feel like um, administrative uh, to an extent. And I'll you know there's ex- there's exceptions. They might feel like administrative things that one needs to get done as part of your corporate responsibility. So this idea of corporate responsibility and doing what needs to be done um, is in play. And and going back to the power of choice, now if you were to take that and actually choose to do more and say, well, yes, we're going to do it. We're going to do all of this really well, but we're going to do even more. Then you start to be distinctive in your commitment to purposeful work, to having a, a particular orientation around championing a cause, a community, or a, a challenge that we all face communally. And so I think you actually can work from, from the back to the front to say, we've looked at our sustainability efforts. They're great, but we're going to commit to even more. We've looked at what we're doing in communities. We're going to upweight that. We've looked at what we're doing for our staff. We're going to take it to the next level. And because we're doing all of this, suddenly the narrative on the outside of the business, the market-facing side changes mm-hmm. because it starts becoming a business that really is determined to do more for its various stakeholders and not just shareholders. And by implication, um, various studies are now showing that that sort of centricity, this multi-stakeholder centricity, is more profitable in the long term. 
So that's on the one front. On, on the other front, really, it's about, as we said earlier, smaller businesses taking a view to decide what kind of businesses they want to grow up to be and actually probably adopting some of those principles a little bit earlier than they might otherwise have done uh, and building them into the ecosystem so that they, when they scale, you know, really the, the activities, the processes, the measurables are in place. And anyone coming into that ecosystem is aware that this is part of the operating model in the business. Um, and so they, they would do it, um, you know, which is probably what you might do in an ideal world, from the outset. Um, I like, I like all of that. I mean, I think it's always that thing of, of, you know, we say choice, the other, other word for it is intention. And I think when you set that intention and you put energy and effort behind it, it's, it sets something in motion, uh, which can ultimately be bigger than, than what you're talking about. Uh, I also think we live in a, an age where almost, the back office is not hidden anymore. Um, you know, so if you make a lofty statement about, you know, how your purpose is to save the world and you then go into a, a third world country and use child labor or illegally gotten metals, people will find out and then they will they'll ultimately use what you stated publicly against you. So it'll actually be worse for you in the long run than just not, not making the statement at all yeah i mean you see activism against companies all the time now um you know whether it's digital companies where it's about data leaking or sharing you know you see ac consumer activism calling people out and because of social media that's a massive risk um uh, that, that is posed to companies and is, is forcing them to become more accountable the other mm. thing that's forcing them to be more accountable is um and we're seeing the very early signs of it in the u.s is um is shareholder activism so blackrock i think it was last month blackrock's the biggest asset manager in the world and they voted against i think 35 um company boards um during the annual voting and have dismissed some of the directors of those boards because those companies haven't upheld their commitments to um, sustainability uh, in light of climate change so that's pretty radical when you have you, you know your shareholders voting out not because of the profits you're making but because you're not upholding your commitments on the sustainability uh, portfolio which you know i think and if you look at how that plays out into you know over time you'll start seeing that that actually capital markets also are going to start speaking the same language as as purpose-driven business mm. i think that's that's what we're all working towards now, now I'm interested, you've, you've had a journey, you, you were in a, a world similar to mine um, in, in the sort of creative agency space, and then you moved into, into uh, luxury, super luxury travel, and unfortunately, I didn't meet you in time to get a free um, weekend, uh, you know, away. <laughs> uh, but now, now you started a, a new business, um, Animarium. Uh, can, you, can you just talk a little bit about... How, like, like, what took you from those different worlds into this this place um, now? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, so, so my time in the communication and marketing and, and digital sector really allowed me to look into so many of the leading brands and businesses in the world, um, including the likes of Red Bull and Emirates and Mercedes Benz, and and many more. And you and you start to see what makes them tick. 
um, and what best practice looks like in some areas. You know, there's never one business that's got it all right. But you you start to look at how you know one business treats staff. You know, you have another look at how another business treats sustainability or their corporate responsibility. Um, and I found that really interesting in sort of creating a, a, a broader framing of what good business looks like. But something that always really attracted me was this idea of you know purpose driven business. And while I was um, running an agency, uh, I was fortunate enough to be exposed to. Uh, a business called Singita, uh, and I actually undertook personally to do their strategy evolution. And their strategy evolution really is the story of uh, a luxury tourism business becoming a or, or embracing what is the, their true authentic identity, which is an ecotourism business, a conservation business. Uh, and actually the hospitality component merely functioned to finance the conservation and community work that they do. Um, and having become a lot closer to that business, I had the fortunate opportunity to join them a number of years later and uh, as CEO of the hospitality portfolio. Um, and, you know, I think in terms of a blueprint of conscious business, um, they, they have it completely waxed. Um, there's always room for improvement, but, you know, they have really deep commitments to community and conservation because in those remote areas, that is their product they have to conserve the product in order to offer the experience to you know very well or high paying guests and what they see is a huge threat and a huge opportunity in africa where because africa's population is going to be uh, more than doubling over the next um, couple of decades you know they see a threat on on this wilderness expanse and so their purpose is actually to protect and preserve wilderness for future generations um, and so you'll see that, you know, from that agency world where I've seen into a whole lot of businesses, this one business model had really attracted me when I said, well, hold on, but this is holistic. This is conscious capitalism in the, in the American sense of the word. Um, and having been inside the business and, and run that business effectively, you know, I realized there'd be a huge potential to go and overlay that sort of thinking into various other kinds of organizations in various industries. And that's what spawned me. Um, to leave and and to found Anamarum, which is an advisory really focused on this transition towards conscious business um, in navigating businesses through this journey of becoming completely aligned around their purpose in uh, their proposition, in their internal operations, in their culture, and in their impact. Because I think ultimately, when you can align all of those, you've got a business in perfect harmony and perfect flow that is doing it's authentic work in the world. Uh, and and that's, an, that's a tremendous opportunity that I'm, I continue to be very excited about. And what, I mean, you know, so so often the, the examples that are cited are companies that are phenomenal, like Patagonia and Allbirds and, you know, you've talked about Singita. It's quite, it's quite obvious for, for me on how a, uh, a nature-focused, outdoors-focused company can can use this. But how do you see this playing out in a space that, that where it's a little bit less clear, like a, a a mine perhaps or an accounting firm or, you know, somewhere where it's not necessarily as cut and dry how they can can 
play in the space or, or be more conscious about their business? Yeah. So, I mean, I'm, I'm gonna, you gave me two pretty hard examples there, and I'm, I'm going to try and answer you on, on the fly. So I think um, from a mining perspective, bear in mind, you know, their work is their work. Um, and ultimately, you have to consider um, – no, I'm, I'm, I was going to digress. I'm going to stay on this topic because uh, <laughs> I, I feel like you're demanding an answer <laughs> only in, intuitively. Uh, you know, I think a mining company can really think about employees and stakeholders in a way that is probably very different, different from the legacy way in which employees and stakeholders have been treated. Mining typically in the past has been a very exploitative industry Um you know, there's been a lot of health issues associated with mines, safety issues, even, you know, the scourge of AIDS, et cetera, et cetera. So you take just one slice of purpose-driven business and you say, you know, if our, if, our, if our work is actually platinum mining, how can, we, how can we go about it in the best way possible and the way mm. that serves our constituent groups in the best way that we can? So how do we take the best care of our staff? How do we make sure that our supply chain is is really you know, um, included in, in our sort of approach. Uh, and, and ultimately, you create the best that you can out of a, a situation. Other companies, like oil companies, are saying, well, hold on, at a higher purpose level, if we ascend right up here, what are we actually about? We're about energy. And so they're able to transition, you know, out of uh, coal and gas and, and oil into renewables. So, you know, maybe one of the exercises to be done in the mining industry is like, what are we about? If we're about resources, can we, about, can we be about other more sustainable resources? Mm. Um, and, and so that sort of diversification can happen. And then the last one, and I want to give you a great example. Uh, you spoke about an accounting firm or a legal firm. Um, and I was chatting to a colleague recently who has started a company that does um, – illustrated contracts so legally binding contracts that are illustrated for the illiterate so you look at again a mine and people might be signing contracts that they can really hardly understand um, and what what this business does is actually to illustrate the roles responsibilities of the various role players uh, in a contract that is illustrated almost like a cartoon so anyone can understand it and, and so it's maybe you know, it can be literally about the work that you do, but so much more often it's about how you do what you do that demonstrates your purpose orientation. I hope that's answered your questions, your tricky questions. Mm, it does. I'm also interested, like what would, if you could, if you could get your hands on any industry, on any kind of, uh, you know, work in the most tricky places, where, what, what industry would you like to try and tackle? <laughs> Uh, that's a great question. Um, you know, in this line of work, you've got two. You've got two ways to think about it. One is: do you go into the what seem to be least purposeful uh, um, uh, industries and try to transform them, or do you work to accelerate uh, more accessible uh, organizations and industries that can become beacons of light for others and have this amplification effect? Um, mm. And I'm at the moment sort of. I'm tied into the narrative that you can't change everyone overnight and that there are people that are putting their hands up all over the place that need expertise and guidance. And, and you have to start there because there's a, there's a network effect of call it virality that happens where people start seeing what others are doing and it becomes attractive to them. So 
you know, for now in terms of my focus, I think I, I'm I'm almost rather than looking at an industry, I'm looking at a psychology of leadership that says, hey, I believe we can do better. I can believe we can be better. And we need someone to walk the journey with us. And, and that's what I'm focusing on, on now. Um, and hoping that it influences those businesses who maybe have far more stigma attached to them by, by virtue of their legacy operations. Hmm. Uh, I'm interested. I, I like that you, you talked about this as a leadership thing and that the, ultimately the leadership needs to make that choice or, or, or should be making that choice. Um, and and I, I choose to believe that at some point in the future, uh, ultimately, that choice will be forced on them. So I think it's at this point that people can can choose, and at some point in the future, that choice will be made for them, um, which I think is is hopefully a good thing. Yeah, and and you know, as very big macro factors, and some of them are slow to to really deliver impact into our worlds. But as you know, as big macro factors like you know, really increasing inequality, uh, you know, the, the, the impact of climate change, you know, we're feeling it relatively slowly, but ultimately we're going to hit a tipping point where radical change is needed really quickly. And actually COVID has done that to an extent for so many organizations and industries where, you know, without it, I think so many businesses would have been slower to make some changes that they have made that, that are going to set them in good stead for the next decade or two. Mm-hmm. Um, and so sometimes you need these catalytic moments to transition things. And, and I do think for, for enlightened uh, leaders, they should constantly be looking for how to improve their businesses. And this is certainly one way to make their businesses more future fit. And, and again, evidence is proving that businesses operating with more conscious and inclusive mindset have proven to be more resilient through COVID. I think it's also resilience. I also think there's, by, by looking after your your stakeholders, you know, and your your full kind of ecosystem, that ecosystem is more tolerant and supportive. It's almost like being in a community. If you're an active member of a community, you know, if your house burns down, people will take you in. They will offer you food. They will lend you money. They will, you know, they'll come to your aid. Um, mm-hmm. And but if you've been that guy who's playing loud music at three AM um, all the time and uh, leaving litter all over the place, when your house burns down, you'll find yourself standing in the streets uh, relatively alone. Yeah, and, and that, that you will no doubt have heard the saying: "Your network is your net worth." Mm-hmm. Um, and I think in the business environment, there are many businesses looking for like-minded partners. Can, can be completely out of industry. But we're looking to belong to something, um, you know. In the old market economy, you know, the, the market was ever, where everyone came together, and people who sold goods and wares in the market you knew each other. They knew what farms they'd come from. They knew their families, and the customers knew them. And there was relationships there. And I think we've we've extracted so many of the relationships out of business that it's become so transactional that actually, just as humans, we yearn to have some form of association beyond our own brand or business. Uh, and so it is spawning a movement of alliances, collaborations, and volunteerism, even in the business space. Uh, that's really, really interesting to see. And I think it's just indicative of how our mindset's also changing uh, during this time is, you know, I feel like we all are seeking a bit more humanity. I mean, I feel like you've given me the easiest tee up to to talk about your next um, exciting endeavor, which is to 
to um, launch the B Lab uh, in Southern Africa um, and and ultimately help companies here become more B corporations. Um, I've been interested in in B corporations for a while, um, and there's only I think you said eleven in South Africa. Uh, yeah. Will you talk a little bit more about kind of what drove you as as a, a founder of a very new company to now also pick up another another whole thing that you have to uh, uh, live and breathe and uh, get going? <laughs> yeah, I've got a big tank, a big reserve, <laughs> so that's good. Uh, yeah, I, I think when you look at, and I'm going to go back to the conversation we were having earlier about purpose-driven business, not just in, in theory, but actually in action. Um, the B Corporation certification is is ultimately a trust mark for that orientation. You know, so it's for those of, for those who don't know, uh, B Corporation is uh, a global movement of businesses of force for good. It's you know effectively uh, a distinctive uh, certification that you can get, which certifies your business along the lines of uh, governance, of community orientation. Uh, you know, a good a good employer for your workers, environment, and your customers. So it's quite a holistic view of business, um, and it's a, a robust um, questionnaire that you have to go through that gets verified. And if you hit the threshold, which is eighty points, uh, you are then eligible to become a certified B Corp. And there's three and a half thousand B Corps in the world now. Some of the businesses you mentioned earlier, which are sort of the poster children of purpose, like Patagonia and all birds are B Corps. Um, there's also some really interesting uh, corporates which you might not expect to be, like Danon. Danon is one of the most committed B Corps in the world. Um, and then there's some really amazing sort of social impact stories where you've got, um, I think it's called the Sunshine Nut Company in Mozambique. An, ex, uh, an ex-executive from Hershey's Chocolate moved to Mozambique he exports cashew nuts now back to the US, and and that operation is funding an orphanage, and the and the sort of the the formation of new families by pairing widows with orphans, uh, and then there's a the whole education stream that comes. So so that business is a, a certified B Corp, and it's really because it's got such a, a really deep impact into its local community that they're able to you know to achieve that certification. So. Yeah, there's some really, really incredible and inspiring examples of B Corps in the world. It's it's uh, it's always been available in Southern Africa, but it's always felt potentially a little bit more distant because there hasn't been representation. And so I'm very excited that Anamarum has partnered uh, B Lab to represent the whole B Corp movement in Southern Africa, which, which when I say movement, it needs to be a collaborative, inclusive uh Allianced approach, right? You can't start movements from the top down. You have to start them from the bottom up, um, and so that's very, very exciting. Yeah. So, so you you are, are here. Is your mission here to try and get more companies to just think about about this and and invest their time, energy, and, and effort in these places? So I know when I was filling out the the questionnaire, one of the questions is, "Do you have an environmental policy?" Um, and I was like, well, I suppose we do, but we've never actually written it down, um, which then makes it make, makes you question whether you have it or not. So it's not something I've ever really thought about. Um, yeah. uh, but uh, now I'm being forced to. Yeah. So it's funny. I actually didn't probably finish my train of thought earlier. So what that does on on 
the very measurable end of the spectrum of purpose is that certification says you don't just talk about purpose, you're doing purpose every day in your business across those dimensions. And so it's like an independently verified hallmark, like, yes, you are a purpose-driven company and you can use that as a way to attract staff, a way to attract specific kinds of capital, um, you know, a way to, to differentiate from competitors. There's so many advantages to that, which are aside from the fact that you should be feeling really fulfilled in the fact that you've, you've adopted this orientation as a business. Um, so, yeah, it, it's almost like when you talk about where the rubber hits the road, that's it for me is having a, a having an advisory which which helps to frame and put a blueprint over a business that's one piece but actually making sure that credibly that business then goes on to live that those values and that operational commitment that's where i think a certification comes in so it's almost it's the yeah it's the credibility that supports the talk and I mean, I suppose, uh, give me, uh, I know I was uh, grilling you on the phone about this the other day, like, like, why should anyone give a shit about this? Like, why should anyone actually bother to go and do that certification? <laughs> well, I'm going to go back to the conversation I had earlier about, we had earlier about leadership. I think it's a way for leaders in business to demonstrate that they are operating with a broader mindset, um, that they are shaping the narrative of what business should look like in South Africa, in the region and in the world. And it, this does connect you to a global cohort of colleagues, much like a YPO might, where you have you know, access to global think tanks and materials and there's an internal social networking um, tool. And so an example could be that if you are an accountant, you might um, you'd be listed on the internal directories and other B Corps might say, you know what, I want to use an accountant who's a B Corp. And so they might look there and say, and there's some, there's some examples in, in foreign markets where people almost exclusively go to the B registry first before they go and look in the marketplace for another yeah. potential supplier. So that's, I mean, on, on one aspect, there is a, you know, not enormous, but definitely a market opportunity. Another aspect is clear differentiation from competitors. If you think about where we are now, in terms of the movement being in its infancy, you know, if you go and get accredited now, you're way ahead of your competitors because they're still trying to figure out what it's all about. Um, mm. And that, I think, is is very distinctive. And we're seeing amazing uh, interest already, having announced um, the partnership only about a month ago. You know, we've got some huge, huge companies and some tiny, tiny companies. And you know what? They're all welcome. Um, and, and what I think it's doing is creating a really interesting blend where Sometimes we stratify the business landscape into like, well, you're a big corporate and you're a listed company. And, you know, really what actually cuts through all of that now, big, small, medium, is that you share an ethos and you share a philosophy. And mm -hmm. so you can find like-mindedness in, in that space. From an employee proposition perspective, I think that's also a huge, um, of, of huge value. I know that... Uh, uh, someone in a recent conversation joined her company specifically because it was a B Corp uh, and it was, you know, it was an industry she'd been working in, but in terms of identifying where she wanted to go next, she knew that, that, that was, um, that that related or aligned with her value system. And that's something that really was important to her. So the, there's multidimensional um, components. There's some recent capital examples where um, B Corps have listed on, um, the New York Stock Exchange and the S&P 500 and so on and, and had really, really successful listings 
over and above the sort of uh, probably the, com- the computed valuation because of their um, attractiveness to investors and because of their philosophies. I love that. One of my, my favorite companies to talk about is a company called The Unreasonable Group, um, founded by Daniel Epstein. They're, they're like a, a proper hardcore um, venture capital firm, but they only back companies that um, are purpose-driven. And what I like about it is they do it because they, they, they selfishly think that um, those people are actually going to change change the world and that's good for business so they want to be on that side they want to be you know want to put their money there and and reap that reward yeah 100 percent. and then there's a huge uh and growing impact market of investors that are specifically looking for businesses that address societal issues or environmental issues or systemic issues structural issues in in the economy um and so i don't i don't see that going away i actually see that growing which I think is, you know, if you can position your business in that space, it's a huge opportunity to attract funding uh, versus going into a more homogenous sort of democratized marketplace where you can't really differentiate. So, so I'm asking, I suppose we're right, we're right at the end of the, 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 the episode. So I'd like to ask you a question. What do you see the, the role of, of kind of people who are building brands, brand builders, communicators in this thing. So, so how do you see them playing a role in, in getting companies and, and uh, leaders on board with this sort of thing? Yeah, having come from this environment, from the design, brand strategy, creative digital environment, I really understand that the, that the role that those agencies and consultants can make is, is actually far beyond what they might imagine. And that's because they're they're involved in shaping the narrative of business and of actually then amplifying it. So if if you can imbue a little essence of what you believe businesses should stand for in industry, in society, into the work that you're doing and help those clients to see things in a slightly reframed way, you can then tell that story in a really inspiring and aspirational way. Um, way. And I, th- I think that makes it very compelling, not just for their story, but for the story of, for the, for the potential stories of everyone who sees what they're doing and says, well, I want to, I want to be like that. Where's my version of that? And so from a design craft um, strategy content perspective, I think that's a huge opportunity that I would wholeheartedly encourage that this industry, the creative industry gets behind. I think that's such a nice thing to end on. That that's sort of quite a practical call to action for people. Um, and uh, let's hope that that those leaders. I think what did you call them? Uh, enlightened leaders um, meet those those people and pull those people onto their team to actually make some kind of a difference and an impact uh, out there in the world. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I'd be very excited to see it, and and I support it all the way. Awesome, Tom. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It was a really good discussion. I really enjoyed that. Thanks you. Uh, thanks to you, Ross. A really, really good chat. And I, actually, I think we could have doubled our time on it. Um, it felt like we were just getting going there. Yes. Well, we're on, we're on 41 minutes. I'm not sure how long people will actually pay attention for. <laughs> well, we have to have a version two. It's a pleasure to chat. Awesome. Thank you, Tom. Catch you in the next one. Absolutely. Thanks, Ross. Bye. Thank you for listening. 
In the words of Carlos Corbion, sharing knowledge is an obligation. So if you know someone who would benefit from this podcast, please send it on to them. This is our second season, and we'd be super grateful if you'd hit that subscribe button. And if you think we're worth it, give us a review. We welcome feedback, good or bad. We release an episode every two weeks. One more question is brought to you by the people at NiceWork, a purpose-led branding company in Johannesburg, South Africa. If you'd like to further this conversation, reach out at www.nicework.co.za. And if you're a little bit old school, let us know and we'll make you a mixtape.